Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Walter. Today we're going to be reading Chapter 3 of Pre-Existence, Christian Ignorance of the Pre-Existence. The reader pro- program part of the program is uh, 34 minutes long, and then we'll get into to reading and commentary. Thank you for listening. Christian Ignorance of the Pre-Existence, Chapter 3 of Pre-Existence, pages 32 to 46. Modern Christianity generally has little or no understanding of the pre-mortal life of mankind. Without this knowledge, however, it is almost impossible to have any valid concept of the purpose or reason for a mortal existence. To the Latter-day Saints this great concept was revealed and with it came a vast scope of light and understanding that completely overshadows the limited and incorrect beliefs of modern preachers. Wilford Woodruff, Journal of Discourses, I once read a man's view of education and dash he was not a Mormon, but a man of the world and dash who said, no man is fully educated unless he can tell where he came from, why he is here, and where he is going to. That being the case, I thought there were few fully educated in the world. No man can tell where he came from unless it is revealed to him. We have had these things revealed to us in the Bible, Book of Mormon, and Book of Doctrine and Covenants. We have thus come to the knowledge that we had an existence before we came here, and that we had a probation before we came here. Joseph Fielding Smith, the Latter-day Saints are the only people in the world, as far as my knowledge goes, who have a clear, distinct doctrine in regard to their questions. Where did we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? I believe we are the only people in the world who believe in the pre-existence of the human family. There are many who believe in the pre-existence of Jesus Christ, but they do not believe that we, individually, lived before we came into this life. One of the strange things to me is the fact that so many people believe that there is a spirit in man and when he dies that spirit continues to live as an immortal thing, yet that it had no existence until man was born in this mortal life. Person Pratt There are but few persons who have correct ideas concerning any state of existence, except the present. They find themselves here, but where they came from, or whither they are going, they have but a faint idea. Indeed, a greater part of the millions of Christendom do not believe in the Bible doctrine of pre-existence. They look upon the natural birth of man as the origin or commencement, not only of the body, but also of the spirit. They readily admit the pre-existence of the materials which enter into the composition of the body, but discard the idea of a pre-existing spirit either organized or disorganized. They suppose each individual spirit to be created from nothing, at or about the time of the organization and birth of the infant tabernacle, 
that then, it is supposed, we awoke from nothing to consciousness, from non-existence to existence, from vacancy to substance, that thoughts and perceptions sprang into being, assumed identity, and began their career as movable intelligent souls. This unscriptural, and most absurd, and unreasonable doctrine originated in the brains of the corrupt priesthood, and is unworthy of the consideration of any but lunatics or madmen. It is strange that men professedly wise, capable of reason and common sense, could possibly work up their minds into a belief that human spirits are called into being from nothing at the average rate of about 20 every minute. How much more consistent it is to believe that the substance of our spirits, like the substance of our bodies, had a pre-existence, that both are eternal, and that not one particle of either ever sprang from nothing, that creation signified organization of pre-existent materials, and not the production of these materials from nothing? The former is a scriptural truth, the latter a vague, foolish, unphilosophical, absurd, speculation of men who believed in an immaterial God without body or parts, which is equivalent to no God. When will man burst the shell of his traditions, and have common sense? When will he turn from such disgusting absurdities to the word of God? Man is not only ignorant of his pre-existence, but seems to have but a very imperfect idea of his future state. It is true, Christendom expect a future state of being, but have endeavored to make such a state as shadowy as unlike everything connected with real existence as they could possibly imagine. Their heaven is a spiritual, immaterial world, beyond the bounds of time and space, having no connection with time, no relation to space, no parts, no whole, nothing in common with matter. Their future being is immaterial, shapeless, bodiless, occupying no space, has nothing to do with duration, is destitute of all properties common to matter, possessing, like their imaginary god, neither parts nor passions. Such is their own description of their imaginary heaven, such their avowed belief in regard to their future existence. The devil could not possibly invent ideas more atheistical than these. The worst forms of heathen divinities do not begin to compare with the absurdities of the sectarian's god. The heathen heaven is a palace compared with the sectarian heaven, excluded from time and space. The heathen's idea of a future existence, though false, is incomparably better than an immaterial existence, which is only another word for total annihilation. 35. It is indeed comforting to know whence we came, and have a correct understanding in regard to our future. This interesting and most important knowledge is only to be obtained by divine revelation. God has abundantly revealed these things that man might rejoice in them. Person Pratt, Journal of Discourses, now admit, as the Latter-day Saints do, that we had a previous existence, and that when we die we shall return to God and our former habitation, where we shall behold the face of our Father, and the question immediately arises, Shall we have our memories so increased by the spirit of the living God that we shall ever remember our previous existence? I think we shall. Jesus seems to have gained this even here in this world, otherwise he would not have prayed, saying, Father, glorify thou me with that glory which I had with thee before the world was, showing plainly that he had obtained by revelation a knowledge from his Father of something about the glory that he had before the world was. This being the case with Jesus. Why not his younger brethren also obtained this information by revelation? And when we do return back into the presence of our Father, will we not there also have our memories so quickened that we will remember his face, 
having dwelt in his presence for thousands of years? It will not be like going to visit strangers that we have never seen before. Is not this a comfort to persons who expect to depart this life, like all the rest of the human family? They have a consolation that they are going not among strangers, not to a being whose face they never saw, but to one whom they will recognize, and will remember, having dwelt with him for ages before the world was. Looking upon it in the light of reason, independent of revelation, if a person were to form a system of religion according to the best light that he had, would it not be more happifying and calculated more in its nature to give joy and peace to the mind, to suppose that we were going back to a personage we were well acquainted with, rather than to one we had no idea of? I think I should prefer, so far as reason is concerned, to be well acquainted with people I'm going among. These are the expectations of the Latter-day Saints, we do not expect to go among strangers. When we get back there, we expect this place to be familiar to us, and when we meet this, that and the other one of all the human family that have been here on the earth, we shall recognize them as those with whom we have dwelt thousands of years in the presence of our Father and God. This renewing of old friendships and acquaintances, and again enjoying all the glory we once possessed, will be a great satisfaction to all who are privileged to do so. If we ever dwelt there, it is altogether likely that God made some promises to us when there. He would converse with us, and cheer us up. Being his offspring and dash his sons and daughters, he would not be austere and unwilling to converse with his own children, but he would teach them a great many things. And all this will be familiar to us. We read in the New Testament that God did make promises to us before this world was made. I recollect one passage in one of the epistles of Paul, either Tatima Theotitus, the apostle says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. To whom did he make that promise? I contend that we had the promise of eternal life before the world began on certain conditions and dash if we would comply with the gospel of the Son of God by repenting of our sins and being faithful in keeping the commandments of God. Verse and Pride, Journal of Discourses, these were some of the first revelations given in this last dispensation. The Lord did not wait several years before he revealed into us, in some measure, concerning our condition before we came here. Hence, it was away back in the year 1830 that this doctrine of the pre-existence of man was revealed in greater fullness than it was given in the Book of Mormon. There are two or three places in the Book of Mormon that reveal the pre-existence of man, but not in such great plainness as was given soon after the publication of that book, through the Prophet Joseph Smith, before the saints began to gather, informing us that we were in reality the children of our Father and God, that we had a pre-existence in which we had learned many very important principles, connected with spiritual existence, before taking bodies of flesh and bones, which was also necessary to afford us a still greater experience. Now, in this plan that God had devised for the advancement of these intelligent beings and dash by passing them through various stages of existence, under different circumstances, and in different conditions and dash he gives them experience that they never could have gained, had they remained in the presence of the Father, in that world which was celestial. In other words, we were his offspring in that world, our spiritual bodies not having flesh and bones, but being in the image of the Father and Son, and dash his own sons and daughters. Joseph Smith, Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, 
I have another subject to dwell upon, which is calculated to exalt man, but it is impossible for me to say much on this subject. I shall therefore just touch upon it, for time will not permit me to say all. It is associated with the subject of the resurrection of the dead and dash namely, the soul and dash the mind of man and dash the immortal spirit. Where did it come from? All learned men and doctors of divinity say that God created it in the beginning. But it is not so, the very idea lessens man in my estimation. I do not believe the doctrine. I know better. Hear it, all the ends of the world. For God has told me so. And if you don't believe me, it will not make the truth without effect. I will make a man appear a fool before I get through, if he does not believe it. I'm going to tell of things more noble. We say that God himself is a self-existent being. Who told you so? It is correct enough. But how did it get into your heads? Who told you that man did not exist in like manner upon the same principles? Man does exist upon the same principles. God made a tabernacle and put a spirit into it, and it became a living soul. Refers to the old Bible. How does it read in the Hebrew? It does not say in the Hebrew that God created the spirit of man. It says, God made man out of the earth and put into him Adam's spirit, and so became a living body. The mind or the intelligence which man possesses is co-equal with God himself. I know that my testimony is true. Hence, when I talk to these mourners, what have they lost? Their relatives and friends are only separated from their bodies for a short season. Their spirits which existed with God have left the tabernacle of clay only for a little moment, as it were. And they now exist in a place where they converse together the same as we do on the earth. I'm dwelling on the immortality of the spirit of man. Is it logical to say that the intelligence of spirits is immortal, and yet that it had a beginning? The intelligence of spirits had no beginning, neither will it have an end. That is good logic. That which has a beginning may have an end. There never was a time when there were not spirits. For they're co-equal, co-eternal, with our Father in heaven. I want to reason more on the spirit of man. For I am dwelling on the body and spirit of man and dash on the subject of the dead. I take my ring from my finger and liken it unto the mind of man and dash the immortal part, because it has no beginning. Suppose you cut it in two, then it has a beginning and an end, but join it again, and it continues one eternal round. So with the spirit of man. As the Lord liveth, if it had a beginning, it will have an end. All the fools and learned and wise men from the beginning of creation, who say that the spirit of man had a beginning, prove that it must have an end. And if that doctrine is true, then the doctrine of annihilation would be true. But if I am right, I might with boldness proclaim from the housetops that God never had the power to create the spirit of man at all. God himself could not create himself. Intelligence is eternal and exists upon a self-existent principle. It is a spirit from age to age, and there is no creation about it. All the minds and spirits that God ever sent into the world are susceptible of enlargement. George Q. Cannon, Journal of Discourses the Latter-day Saint should be the happiest, the most contented, the most joyous of all people that live. For not only has the knowledge of the past been communicated to us, 
for the present that which is connected with our probation here and also much knowledge concerning the future. Now, if a man can only know whence he came, why he is here, and that which awaits him after this life, it seems to me that he has abundant causes of happiness within his grasp. Much of the unhappiness and uncertainty that prevails today in the minds of mankind arise from ignorance upon these points. Hence, we see the course that many of the children of men are taking. If a man knew exactly why God sent him here, the object that he had in giving unto him a mortal existence, do you think that men or women who had this knowledge would be guilty of suicide, would have any disposition to cut off their own existence and to destroy that gift which God in his mercy has given unto us? I do not believe that any human being who properly comprehends the object that God has had in placing man here upon the earth, and who has a desire to carry out that purpose, would ever attempt self-destruction. He would shrink from such an act with horror, and would never dare to destroy the earthly tabernacle given him by God. In these respects, as I have said, we possess rare advantages. It is a great favor from God to have this light. There is no unwillingness on his part to communicate it, but there is an unwillingness on the part of the children of men to receive it when it is communicated. H. W. Nasbitt, Journal of Discourses, Hence when a man realizes that he had a pre-existence, when he realizes that the present existence is but a transitory condition, when he realizes that there is a vast and illimitable future before him, he desires to comprehend how he shall best minister to his individual welfare in that future. Henry Nasbitt, Journal of Discourses, here is the human family unconscious of their origin, unconscious of their destiny. But the elders of this church go forth and tell mankind that they are the children of their common father, that they had their origin in the eternal worlds, that there lies before them a grand and sublime destiny. And they say, inasmuch as this is so, how would you like again to be presented to your father and dash to the king? How would you like to return to his presence and to enjoy his smiles? How would you like to be brought back again to the surroundings you once enjoyed? And as the stirring impulses of these warm thought rush through the hearts of the listeners in the midst of the nations of the earth, their minds begin to expand and their hearts begin to swell with the newfound dignity thus spread before them, and in the promise of the future. But by and by there is a change in their condition, in the pride of their hearts, under the inspiration of those men who thus taught and counseled them, they thought they were going to be somebody. Charles Rich, Journal of Discourses, before we came into this world, we had an existence with the Father in the heavens. We are eternal beings. How do you know that? One might say, we know it by the revelations of Jesus Christ, which bring life and immortality to light. It was revealed to Abraham and many of the ancient prophets, and it has been revealed unto us in these the last days. We are told that before the inhabitants of the earth had an existence in the flesh, they had an existence in the spirit world, and that it was necessary to come into this world and be clothed with mortality. And why was it necessary? Because we could not attain to an exaltation without coming here. Many people think this is a world of sorrows, and a very horrid world to live in. So it may seem to some people, but I think that it is a glorious world, for it is here we are enabled to obtain our blessings and endowments. And pride. A long time before you and I came here upon this stage of action, we had an intelligent existence. 
We dwelt in a better world than this, and a world that had been sanctified and glorified. In other words, a world that had been redeemed, a world that had been made celestial, just as we are in hopes that our present world will, at some future period, be exalted to the celestial glory, and become the habitation of celestial beings. That world we occupied, before we came here, was celestial. Our father had his dwelling place there, or, at least, one of his dwelling places. And we were surrounded by our father's glory, we were familiar with his countenance, familiar with the beautiful mansions that were there and familiar with all the glory that existed there, so far as we were capable of comprehending. There was no veil drawn between us and our father, no veil drawn between us and the associates of our father, who were also celestial beings, many of them having been redeemed from a world more ancient than ours. We had a long experience, I suppose, in that world. At least, we know from that which our father has revealed to us, that we were born there. That this intelligent being that has power to discern, power to reflect, power to reason and dash that this intelligent being was born in that previous estate. These were some of the first revelations given in this last dispensation. The Lord did not wait several years before he revealed unto us, in some measure, concerning our condition before we came here. Hence, it was away back in the year 1830 that this doctrine of the pre-existence of man was revealed in greater fullness than it was given in the Book of Mormon. There are two or three places in the Book of Mormon that reveal the pre-existence of man but not in such great plainness, as was given soon after the publication of that book, through the prophet Joseph Smith, before the saints began to gather, informing us that we were in reality the children of our Father and God, that we had a pre-existence in which we had learned many very important principles, connected with spiritual existence, before taking bodies of flesh and bones, which was also necessary to afford us a still greater experience. Now, in this plan that God has devised for the advancement of these intelligent beings and dash by passing them through various stages of existence, under different circumstances, and in different conditions and dash he gives them experience that they never could have gained, had they remained in the presence of the Father, in that world which was celestial. In other words, we were his offspring in that world, our spiritual bodies not having flesh and bones, but being in the image of the Father and Son and dash his own sons and daughters. He had a great desire that we should be educated and taught. He could teach us a great many things in that world as we teach our children. He could impart to us a great many things in dash for there were as many truths in existence in that day as are in existence now. But truths were taught to us as we were capable of understanding them. The Lord felt anxious that we might come up and eventually be made like him as it is written in the New Testament who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. I have no doubt before we came into the world, we had a great anxiety, that we might be brought up in the same way he was instructed and taught and led along, passing through different conditions of existence, that we finally might be counted worthy to be exalted at his right hand, and receive the fullness of his celestial glory the same that he is in possession of, and that we might have all his attributes, dwelling within us as separate individuals and personages, that he might exalt us like unto himself. Now, there is a great deal to be comprehended, when we are told that we are children who will become like our father, that we were like him in our first stage and condition of existence. We were there, as it were, children without a fullness of knowledge. Many experiences had not yet been given to us. 
but we were like him in our general outline and dash the outline of our persons. Our general form was like him, after his image, etc. It is thus written in the Book of Mormon, in the great vision to the brother of Jed, in which the Lord condescended to take the veil off his eyes. The brother of Jed had gone up into the mountain, and had molten out of a rock sixteen small stones, which he carried up into the top of the mount. He went there with an object in view. The object was to get the Lord to touch the stones that they might shine forth in darkness in the eight vessels, which had been built to convey him and his brother across the great waters, one to be placed at each end of each of the vessels. It would naturally increase the faith of the brother of Jed, to believe it possible that he might see the finger of the Lord. He was given to pray that God would touch the stones, the same as we pray for the Lord to put forth his finger and touch the particles of oil, when we dedicate it, for sacred purposes. If we pray in faith, we must suppose that the finger touches the oil. And Jed prayed in faith. He did not know but what it might be his privilege to see his finger. He did see it. It appeared to him like the finger of a man, like unto flesh and blood. But his faith was too great for his nervous system. For when he saw the finger of the Lord, he fell to the earth through fear. And the Lord looked unto him and asked him why he had fallen. He answered and said, I saw the finger of the Lord, and I feared lest he should smite me. For I knew not that the Lord had flesh and blood. He did not know but what his imperfections were so great, that the Lord would smite him. But he was commanded to arise. The Lord then asked him, Sawest thou more than this? And he answered, Nay, Lord, show thyself unto me. Here was a prayer that extended a little further. The Lord wanted to see what amount of faith he had and he put another question to him, Leavest thou the words which I shall speak? And he answered, Yea, Lord, I know that thou speakest the truth, for thou art a God of truth and canst not lie. And when the brother of Jet had manifested his faith, the Lord condescended to show his whole personage to him, and said, Seest thou that ye are treated after mine own image? Behold, this body, which ye now behold, is the body of my spirit, and man have I created after the body of my spirit. Here the pre-existence of man was taught in the Book of Mormon. All men in the beginning were created after the image of this body which he was then showing. All the human family that then existed, and that would exist in future time upon the earth were created in the beginning, after the image of that body. That is, that body which he showed was not a body of flesh and bones, but a pure spiritual body, organized out of pure spiritual substance, filled with light and truth. He informed this great man of God, that he was prepared, from before the foundation of the world, to redeem his people. Behold says he, I'm Jesus Christ. I am the Father and the Son. In me shall all mankind have light, and that eternally, even they who shall believe in my name. Here, then, was a great deal of information given to us, concerning the formation of the human spirit, the formation of men and dash the formation of their persons, and their individualities and dash before the foundation of this world. It was after this was given, and the Book of Mormon was published, that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints arose. But the Lord, thinking that we had not sufficient understanding of this pre-existence, began to tell us, in the month of June, 1830, only a few months after the organization of the Church, more about these things. 
He told us about the spiritual creation, something we did not comprehend before. We used to read the first and second chapters of Genesis, which give an account of the works of the Almighty, but did not distinguish between the spiritual work and the temporal work of Christ. Although there are some things in King James' translation that give us a little distinction between the two creations, yet we did not comprehend it. The light shone, in some measure, in darkness, but so dark were our minds, through tradition, that we did not comprehend the light and dash or the few feeble glimmerings of light and dash contained in these first and second chapters of the uninspired translation. But our Heavenly Father inspired His servant, Joseph Smith, to translate several chapters more in the book of Genesis, in December, 1830, which gave a more full account, down to the days of the flood. He told us a great many important principles, principles that he did not give, so far as the historical matter was concerned, in the Book of Mormon. They were an addition in some respects, and therefore, they were new to us, who lived in the early rise of the church, and calculated to give us great joy. George Q. Cannon, it is a truth that, when understood by us, gives a new light to our existence, and inspires us with the most exalted hopes. That truth is that God is our Father, and we are His children. What a tender relationship. What a feeling of nearness it creates within us. What? God my Father? Am I indeed His son? Am I indeed His daughter? Do I belong to the family of God? Is this literally true? The answer is yes. God has revealed it, that we are literally His children, His offspring. That we are just as much His children as our offspring are our children. That He begot us. And that we existed with Him in the family relationship as His children. What an immensity of vision is given to us in this truth. What a field for reflection and how our hearts should be inspired with great hopes and anticipations, to think that the being under whose direction this earth was organized, who governs the planets and controls the universe, who causes the rotation of the seasons and makes this earth so beautiful and such a delightful place of habitation, is our Father, and that we are His children, descended from Him. What illimitable hopes the knowledge of this inspires us with. Now, this is the truth. We humble people, we who feel ourselves sometimes so worthless, so good for nothing, we are not so worthless as we think. There is not one of us but what God's love has been expended upon. There is not one of us that He has not cared for and caressed. There is not one of us that He has not desired to save, and that He has not devised a means to save. There is not one of us that He has not given His angels charge concerning. We may be insignificant and contemptible in our own eyes, and in the eyes of others, but the truth remains that we are the children of God, and that He has actually given His angels and dash invisible beings of power and might and dash charge concerning us, and they watch over us and have us in their keeping. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, When I look at the economy of heaven, my heart leaps for joy, and if I had the tongue of an angel, or the tongues of the whole human family combined, I would praise God in the highest for his great wisdom and condescension in suffering the children of men to fall into the very sin into which they have fallen in, for he did it that they, like Jesus, might descend below all things and then press forward and rise above all. Our spirits once dwelt in the heavens and were as pure and holy as the angels, 
but angels have tabernacles and spirits have none, and they are anxious to take tabernacles, and they come to the meanest, most and humblest of the human race to obtain one rather than run any risk of not doing so. Chapter 4 The Pre-Existence of Christ Christian Ignorance of the Pre-Existence, Chapter 3 of Pre-Existence, pages 32 to 46. Modern Christianity generally has little or no understanding of the pre-mortal life of mankind. Without this knowledge, however, it is almost impossible to have any valid concept of the purpose or reason for a mortal existence. To the Latter-day Saints, this great concept was revealed, and with it came a vast scope of light and understanding that completely overshadows the limited and incorrect beliefs of the modern preachers. Wilfred Woodruff, Journal of Discourses, Volume 22, page 209. I once read a man's view of education. He was not a Mormon, but a man of the world, who said, quote, No man is fully educated unless he can tell where he came from, why he is here, and where he is going to. That being the case, I thought there were few fully educated in the world. No man can tell where he came from unless it is revealed to him. We have had these things revealed to us in the Bible, the Book of Mormon, and the Doctrine and Covenants. We have, we have thus come to a knowledge that we had an existence before we came here, and he's speaking of this earth, and that we had a probation before we came here. Page 33. Joseph Fielding Smith in Doctrines of Salvation, Volume 1, page 56, the Latter-day Saints are the only people in the world, as far as my knowledge goes, who have a clear, distinct doctrine in regard to the questions, where did we come from, why are we here, and where are we going? I believe we are the only people in the world who believe in the pre-existence of the human family. There are many who believe in pre-existence, in the pre-existence of Jesus Christ, but they do not believe that we individually lived before we came into this life. One of the strange things to me is the fact that so many people believe that there is a spirit in man, and when he dies, that spirit continues to live as an immortal thing. Yet that... <clears throat> yet that it had no existence until man was born in this mortal life. End quote. Orson Pratt, in his book Masterful Discourses, page 58 and 59, states, There are but few persons who have, a correct, who have correct ideas concerning any state of existence except the present. 
they find themselves here, but where they came from or whether they are going, they have but a faint idea. Indeed, the greater part of the millions of Christendom do not believe in the Bible doctrine of pre-existence. They look upon the natural birth of man as the origin or the commencement, not only of the body, but also of the spirit. They readily admit the pre-existence of the materials which entered into the composition of the body, but discard the idea of a pre-existing spirit either organized or disorganized. They suppose each individual spirit to be created from nothing at or about the time of the organization and birth of the infant tabernacle. That then, it is supposed we awoke from nothing to consciousness, from non-existence to existence, and from vacancy to substance. That thoughts and perceptions sprang into being assumed identity and began their career as movable intelligent souls. This unscriptural and most absurd and unreasonable doctrine originated originated in the brains of a corrupt priesthood and is unworthy of consideration of anything but lunatics or madmen. Page 34. It is strange that men professedly wise capable of reason and common sense could possibly work up their minds into a belief that human spirits are called into being from nothing at the average rate of about 20 every minute. How much more consistent is it to believe that the substance of our spirits, like the substance of our bodies, had a pre-existence, that both are eternal and that not one particle of either <clears throat> excuse me and not one particle of either ever sprang from nothing that creation signified organization of preexistent materials and not the production of these materials from nothing the former is a scriptural truth the latter is vague foolish unphilosophical, absurd speculation of men who believe in an immaterial God without body or parts, which is equivalent to no God at all. When will man burst the shell of his traditions and have common sense? When will he turn from such disgusting absurdities to the word of God? Man is not only ignorant of his pre-existence, but seems to have but a very imperfect idea of his future state. It is true, Christendom accept a future state of being, but have no endeavor to make such a state of as shadowy, as unlike everything connected with real existence as they could possibly imagine. Their heaven is a spiritual, immaterial world beyond the bounds of time and space, having no connection with time, no relation to space, no parts, no whole, nothing in common with matter. Their future, <clears throat> their future being is immaterial, shapeless, 
bodiless, occupying no space, has nothing to do with duration, is destitute of all properties common to matter, possessing, like their imaginary god, neither parts nor passions. Such is their own description of their Im- imaginary heaven. Such is avowed, their avowed belief in regard to their future existence. The devil could not possibly invent ideas more atheistical than these. The worst forms of the heathen, heathen divinities do not begin to compare with the absurdities of the sectarian's god. A heathen heaven is a palace compared with the sectarian heaven. Excluded from time and space, the heathen's idea of a future existence, though false, is incomparably better than an immaterial existence, which is only another word for total annihilation. Page 35. It is indeed comforting to know whence we came and have correct understanding in regards to our future This interesting and most important knowledge is only to be obtained by divine revelation. God has abundantly revealed these things that man might rejoice in them. Orson Pratt also stated in Journal of Discourses, volume 15, page 249 to 250, Now admit, as the Latter-day Saints do, that we had a previous existence and that when we die, we shall return to God and our former habitation where we shall behold the face of our Father and the question immediately arises, shall we have our memories so increased by the Spirit of the living God that we shall ever able our previous existence? I think we shall. Jesus seems to have gained this even here in this world. Otherwise, he would not have prayed, saying, Father, glorify thou me with that glory which I had with thee from before the world was. Showing plainly that he had obtained a revelation, a knowledge from his Father of something about the glory that he had before the world was. This beginning was case with Jesus. Why not his younger brethren also obtain this information by revelation? And when we do return back into the presence of our Father, will we not there also have our memories so quickened that we will remember his face? Having dwelt in his presence for thousands of years, it will not it will not be like going to visit strangers that we have never seen before. It is not this a comfort to persons who accept to depart this life like all the rest of the human family. They have the consolation that they are going not among strangers not to a being whose face they have never seen, but to one whom they will recognize and will remember, having dwelt with him for ages before the world was. Looking upon it in the light of, of reason, 
independent of revelation, if a person were to form a system of religion according to the best light that he had, would it not be more happifying and circulated mo- circulate more in its nature to give joy and peace to the mind to suppose that we are going back to a personage we were well acquainted with? Page 36. Rather than to one who we had no idea of, I think I should prefer, so far as reason is concerned, to be well acquainted with people I am going among. These are the expectations of the Latter-day Saints. We do not expect to go among strangers. When we get back there, we will expect this place to be familiar to us, and when we meet this, that and the other one of the of all the human family that have been here on the earth, we shall recognize them as those with whom we have dwelt thousands of years in the pre-existence or in the presence of our fa- Father and our God. This renewing of old re- friendships and acquaintances and again enjoying all the glory we once possessed will be a greater satisfaction to all who are privileged to do so. If we ever dwelt if we ever dwelt there, it is altogether likely that God made some promises to us when there. He would converse with us and cheer us up, being his offspring, his sons and daughters, he would not be a store or unwilling or austere or unwilling to converse with his own children but he would teach them a great many things and that all this will be familiar to us we read in the new testament that god did make promises to us before this world was made i recollect one passage in one of the epistles of Paul, either to Timothy, either to Timothy or Titus the Apostle, I'm sorry, either I recollect one passage in one of the epistles of Paul, either to Timothy or Titus, the Apostle Paul says, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie, promised before the world began. To whom did he make that promise? I I contend that we had the promise of eternal life before the world began on certain conditions. If we would comply with the gospel of the Son of God by the repenting of our sins and being faithful in keeping the commandments, Uh, The commandments of God. Hold on, let me just check this real quick. I want to see what percentage we're at. Okay, we're at 30%. Um, Okay, yeah, so we're at 30% through the reading for today. The guest column number is 
open. And the chat room is open as well at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. The guest call in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. And that phone number is actually a Manhattan, New York phone number. Continuing on with the reading, Orson Pratt, Journal of Discourses, Volume 21, page 198. These were some of the first revelations given in this last dispensation. The Lord did not wait several years before he revealed unto us in some measure concerning our condition before we came here. Hence, it was taken back in the year 1830 that this doctrine of pre-existence of man was revealed in greater fullness than it was given in the Book of Mormon, page 37. There are two or three places in the Book of Mormon that reveal the pre-existence of man, but not in such great plainness as was given soon after the publication of that book through the prophet Joseph Smith. Before the saints began to gather, informing us that we were informing us that we were in reality the children of our Father and God, and that we had a pre-existence in which we had learned many very important our principles connected with spiritual existence. before taking bodies of flesh and bones, which was also necessary to afford us a little greater experience. And also, it's to help us to gain a higher resurrection. Now Now in this plan that God has devised for the advancement of these intelligent beings by passing them through various stages of existence, under different circumstances and in different conditions, he gives them experience that they never could have gained had they remained in the presence of the Father. In that world, which was celestial, in that world, which was celestial, in other words, we were his offspring in that world. Our spiritual bodies, not having flesh and bones, but being in the image of the Father and the Son, his own sons and daughters. <clears throat> Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith says here on... Uh, Uh, Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 352-354. I have another subject to dwell upon, which is calculated to exalt man, but it is impossible for me to say too much on this subject. I shall therefore just touch upon it, for the time will not permit me to say all. It is associated with the subject of the resurrection of the dead, namely the soul, the mind of man, and the immortal spirit. Where did it come from? All learned men and doctors of divinity say that God created it in the beginning, 
but it is not so. The very idea lessens men in my estimation. I do not believe the doctrine. I know better. Hear it, all ye ends of the world. For God has told me so. And if you don't believe me, you will not make the truth. It will not make the truth without effect. I will make the man appear a fool before I get through. If he does not believe it. I am going to tell of things more noble. We say that God himself is a self-existent being who told you so. It is correct enough, but how did it get into your uh, into your heads? We're on page 38. Who told you that man did not exist in like manner upon the same principles? Man does exist upon the same principles. God made a tabernacle and put a spirit into it, and it became a living soul. How does it read in the Hebrew? It does not say in the Hebrew that God created the spirit of man. It said God made man out of the earth and put into him Adam's spirit and so became a living soul or a living body. The mind or intelligence which man possesses is co-equal with God himself. I know that my testimony is true. Hence, when I talk to these mourners, what have they lost? Their relatives and friends are only separated from their bodies for a short season. Their spirits, which existed with God, have left the tabernacle of clay only for a little moment, as it were. And they now exist in place, in a place where they can converse together the same as we do on the earth. I am dwelling on the immortality of the spirit of man. It is logical to say that the intelligence of the spirit is immortal, and yet that it had a beginning. Am I to say that the spirit... I'm sorry. Is it logical to say that the intelligence of spirits is immortal, and yet it had a beginning? The intelligence of spirits had no beginning, neither will it have an end. That That is good old logic. That which has a beginning may have an end. There never was a time when there was not spirits. And I think he misspoke here. There never was a time when there was not intelligence. When I asked God where he was before the Big Bang, and he showed me the sea of intelligence, he showed me the first um, one to become self-aware from all of the intelligence. And when the intelligence became self-aware, it became uh, the, the feminine and the masculine energies of the intelligence separated and you had one male and one female so you had 
the first who was male and the first who was female. There was a beginning of that. So there was a beginning of spirits, but there was no beginning of intelligence. I think you just misspoke here. Anyway, that's what God showed me. So, For they are co-equal, co-eternal, with our Father in heaven. That's because we all come from the same intelligence. We, we come from the same substance. And everything had a spirit before... Uh, before the spirit learned how to put on flesh, there was a time when there were no no bodies. There was elements, and there was a uh, you know, God showed me in that vision that I, when I asked him about the the Big Bang, he said that the elements and the laws of the universe and energy is eternal. And it never had a beginning. But that when the intelligence becomes self-aware, that at that point there was a beginning of spirit. And that when the beginning of spirit happened, um, in the process of time, the, the, uh, the spirits helped others to become self-aware and to use intelligence to create the spirits of animals and, and other things as well. So, I want to reason more on the spirit of man, for I am dwelling on the body and spirit of man, on the subject of the dead. I take my ring from my finger and liken it unto the mind of man, the immortal part, because it has no beginning. Suppose you cut it in two, and then it has a beginning and an end, but join it again, and it continues one eternal round. And that's the spirit of, like, when the intelligence separates, like before the intelligence separates, it is both masculine and feminine. And because of this energy, there is... Uh, it, it, immortality and eternal life it, it it has eternal life but when you separate it like you take a ring and then you separate a ring and you've got two pieces of the ring it has an end and I think this is what he's getting at and when you seal it back together by some mechanism it be, it has no beginning and no end again right so when you seal the uh the feminine and the masculine together by the Holy Spirit of promise, it has a beginning and an end no more because the masculine and the feminine have been sealed together. And it took uh, a process of time to understand how these things all work. That, like God is not all intelligence and all knowing from the beginning. God became that way through the process of um, of time, through trial and uh, you know testing things out and learning, learning to control the elements, learning to control the. Uh, the energies, learning the laws of the universe, God and the society of the exalted ones are 
scientists. But they've been around for billions and billions of years, and they've created world after world after world, and they've figured out how things work and what works, and if they allow certain things to happen, what will happen, and if they don't allow certain things to happen, what will happen. Uh, take, for instance, if they allow wicked to go to their own place and, and have their own society, and I'm talking about demons and devils, that eventually they will amass a massive army and then there will be, uh, there'll be great, great, great galactic wars. And because they made that mistake, there are great, great, great galactic spiritual wars. And that because they understand that, they understand that when a spirit chooses to be wicked or when a a spirit decides to become a demon, because that's a thing, or a devil, that they have to be destroyed. They must be destroyed. And so they, they, they figured out how to destroy the spirit and how to cast it off into what they call outer darkness. But uh, basically all it is is that you take, you take the, uh, the spirit that needs to be cast off into outer darkness and you, you push them beyond the event horizon and they go into black holes and they disappear forever. They become trapped in that void, in that that phenomenon that God did not create, but he utilizes. Because if they don't get rid of the evil, they will rebel and attack the righteous. For control and power and dominion and all that all of that mess. And I know it sounds like all Battlestar Galactica, but it kind of is. It kind of is. Um, God's shown me some of these uh, vessels that they use. Uh, some of these... Uh, I don't know what you call them. Transportation of spirits. Um, some of these massive arcs galactical arcs that seed planets you know there is some stuff that is more amazing than Star Trek or Battlestar Galactica or um, Star Wars or any other sci-fi movie that you have ever seen in fact when you find out when you personally find out the truth of these things and and God reveals these things, whether it's in the millennium or he shows you a vision or whatever, I mean, you're, I promise you are going to be so completely amazed at the technology of the exalted ones. It is so awesome and so pure. 
And like when Joseph Smith talked about people living on the sun, you had better believe it. You had better believe it. Because exalted, exalted ones, they actually prefer to live in everlasting burnings. To come to this earth is uh, something they can do. They don't like to do it. I, it's just, I don't know what it is. Like the light and the, the and it's, the sun is not what you think it is. It, it does, they have ideas about what the sun is. They have ideas. They don't know what it is. All of, most of the stuff that they have is speculation. They can't stand probes there. They can only see the outer atmosphere of the sun. Uh, and I'm talking about all stars, actually, not just the sun, not just our sun. So anyway, it's just, it's awesome. Like, it's just awesome. I wish I could, I wish I could convey how completely awesome God is. I know you think you know. I know you think you know. And even those of you who have been in the presence of Jesus Christ, I know you think you know. But you do not even have an inkling of an idea just how awesome God is. Anyway, continuing on, I'll read this part again. Suppose... You cut it in two. He's talking about the ring. Then it has a beginning and an end, but you join it again, and it continues when you turn around. So with the spirit of man. As the Lord liveth, if it had a beginning, it will have an end. So when the intelligence that has no beginning and no end, until the feminine and the masculine parts of the the intelligence separate, then it has a beginning of spirit. And if the feminine and the masculine are not sealed together by the Holy Spirit of promise, it will have an end. But once the man and the woman are sealed together by the Holy Spirit of promise, and then they're sealed up to God through the law of adoption, there is no end. There is no end. Unless they become sons of perdition and they rebel like Lucifer did. Lucifer was a god. He was a god. Little g god, yeah, but he was a god. And he rebelled because of his pride and his arrogance. That and there's a whole backstory be- behind uh, Jesus Christ and Lucifer that uh, the modern Christianity and modern Mormonism don't really understand. Uh, the only reason I understand it is because I was chosen to take the place of the bearer of light and truth. When the rebellion happened, I was one of the mighty and strong ones. And after the rebellion and after Lucifer was stripped of his name and title of Hillel or Lucifer, 
bearer of light and truth, the Father and the Son went among the remaining of us who were mighty and strong, who fought valiantly in the rebellion against the rebellion. And I was chosen from among they who were mighty and strong to take the office of the bearer of light and truth. And because of my office and because of who I am, God has revealed to me so much, so much. That's why I'm able to speak to these things, because I understand them. I've been shown these things. I understand who Lucifer was and that dynamic that existed prior to this earth between Jesus and Lucifer and why Lucifer rebelled, I understand exactly why Lucifer rebelled. I also knew who will become the the, um, Lucifer of the next world, but I also know who will become the Satan of the next world. He lives on this earth right now. He is alive right now. And I know exactly who he is. God revealed it to me. Anyway, back to Joseph Smith. All the fools and the learned and wise, men from the beginning of creation who say that the spirit of man had a beginning, prove that it must have an end. And if that doctrine is true, then the doctrine of annihilation would be true. But if I am right... I might with boldness proclaim from the housetops that God never had the power to create the spirit of man at all. And he's talking about the intelligence. He had never had the power to create the intelligence of man. And that's what the spirit comes from, is something called intelligence. When I saw the intelligence, I saw a vast sea a cloud of light that was just massive, light years, light years across. And um, when I came down into the intel, into the cloud, I saw orbs of light, orbs of energy. And when God said, "Look," and I looked and I saw one of them, and there was a flash of light, and then there was two orbs of energy. Indistinguishable, indistinguishable from each other. And God said, this is the beginning of the male and the female spirit. He told me that when the intelligence becomes self-aware, you have a male and a female spirit, but it comes from the intelligence. God himself could not create himself, and that's true. On page 39... Intelligence is an eternal and it is eternal and exists upon a self-existent principle. It is a spirit from age to age and there is no creation about it. All the minds and spirits that God ever sent into the world are susceptible of enlargement. So that was Joseph Smith. And that was actually an excerpt from the King Follett Discourse which I highly recommend reading, that and the lecture at the Grove. I highly recommend reading those on your own. If you go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash L-A-Z, no wait, 
at youtube.com forward slash user forward slash God is my compass. You can find where I have um, included those readings on my my YouTube channel if you're interested and uh, you can find them on the internet too. Anyway, continuing on, we are 47% through with the reading today. Once again, the guest call in number is 917-889-8827. George Q. Cannon, Journal of Discourses, Volume 26, page 184. The Latter-day Saints should be the happiest and most contented and most joyous of all people that, that live. For not only has the knowledge of the past been communicated to us, but the present. That which is connected with our probation here and also much knowledge concerning the future. Now, if a man can only know whence he came, why he is here, and what and that which awaits him after this life, it seems to me that he has abundant cause of happiness within his grasp. Much of the uh, unhappiness and uncertainty that prevail today in the minds of mankind arise from ignorance upon these points. Hence we see the course that may that many of the children of men are taking. If a man knew exactly why God sent him here, the object that he had in giving unto him a mortal existence, do you think that men and women who had this knowledge would be guilty of suicide, would have any disposition to cut off their own existence and to destroy that gift which God in his mercy has given unto us, I do not believe that any human being who is properly comp- who properly comprehends the object that God has had a play- placing I'm sorry object that God has had in placing man here upon this earth and who has a desire to carry out that purpose would ever attempt self-destruction he would shrink from such an act of with horror and would never dare to destroy the earthly tabernacle given him by God in these respects as I have said we possess rare advantage it is a great favor from God to have this light there is no unwillingness on his part to communicate it and there is an unwillingness on the part of the children of men to receive it when it is communicated, end quote. I was just thinking about how great the blessing is that God gives us a veil over our minds so we don't remember being in his presence. Because Whenever I have been taken into his presence, I don't want to come home. I don't want to come home. It doesn't matter what's here on this earth for me to come back to. I don't want to come home. It's hard to know what it's like to be with them and then not to be with them. 
All right, well, I've got to do part two. We're on page 40. That's where we're going to come to. Anyway, uh, I can only do so long of a clip, and we're already on an hour and 15 minutes. So the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. And we'll go to part two of this program for today. Thank you for listening. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes, you can. I can tell because I'm listening on two two phones at the same time. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. That, that's why I stuck that there. So you didn't have to ask if I could hear you because you could hear you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, I didn't have time to uh, – wait, hold on. What phone is muted? Oh, okay. Um, Never mind. Okay. Don't worry about it. Everything's great. Okay, so anyway, um, Kim's going to be reading from forty, page 40 to 46, which isn't near as long as yesterday. And uh, she's ready for that now. So uh, we'll just let Kim take it away. Okay. So beginning on page 40, H.W. Naysbit, hopefully I'm saying that right because names are so subjective as to how you pronounce them. H.W. Naysbit, Journal Discourse, Volume 21, page 104. Hence, when a man realizes that he had a pre-existence, when he realizes that the present existence is but a transitionary condition, when he realizes that there is a vast and Illimitable, <laughs> illimitable future before him, he desires to comprehend how he. So that is really weird. That's the first paragraph. That's what it says, how he. Okay? Does anybody have anything to say about that? Because I'm confused. <laughs> seems legit. Seems legit. That definitely what was supposed to be said there, probably. You know... <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, I don't feel like I read it very well either. So then I went back like, yeah, no, that's what it says. It says, illimitable future before him. He desires to comprehend how he. There isn't even a period. So Beverly, Beverly Kraut, the wife of of, uh, Kevin Kraut, the one that transposed all of these into the online format, straight out of the book. She typed it all out. And, you know, she's made little mistakes and stuff, you know, in every book. But it seems like this book, she must have been stressed out or preoccupied. Cause I've seen I can totally relate. I'm like, or half asleep. Yeah. yeah. I can totally Don't relate. Sometimes her. I'm like, oh, I'm only using part of my brain right now. And that's a, when I was reading this, I'm like, Okay, like, I don't know, maybe I'm reading it wrong, but no, that's what it says. So I guess I'll continue yeah. on. Well, sometimes I'll, like, call her and I'll tell her, hey, uh, you want to go on the website and look on this page? And uh, I'm pretty sure this is, like, as she'll go and then she'll call me back. She'll be like, oh, yeah, I see. Okay, thank you for letting me know. And then she'll fix it. Um, but she's been so busy lately 
that I'm like, yeah, eh, it is what it is. Well, people figure it out. <laughs> but I guess I'll just continue on. There's a bunch of asterisks, and then it goes on. Yeah, Again. so with this book, it's a little bit different. She put the the quotation after the Thor's. Like usually she oh. waits to the bottom of the quotation. So these asterisks, and then after the asterisks, you'll see a new source, and then the quotes under that. Like, that's different than the way she's done all of the other books. Yeah. So Yeah, that's what I was looking at. And usually Kim will, uh, listening audience, usually Kim will, like, go down to wherever the end of the quote is, and she'll say, okay, this quote is from... But now she doesn't have to do that because it's at the top of the quote. Yeah. (laughs) But I wasn't sure that it was a quote because it was written the other way, and then I didn't say anything. I was just like, okay, I'll just read it this way. Sure. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'll just try. We'll just keep going, and I will try to read it word for word what it says. Okay? Okay. Henry Nesbitt, Journal of Discourse, Volume 22, page 77, quote, Here is the human family unconscious of their origin, unconscious of their destiny, but the elders of this church go forth and tell mankind that they are the children of their common father, that they had their origin in the eternal world, that there lies before them a grand and sublime destiny. And they say, inasmuch as this is so, how would you like again to be presented to your father, to the king? How would you like to return to his presence and to enjoy his smiles? How would you like to be brought back again? to the surroundings you once enjoyed. And as the stirring impulses of these warm thoughts rush through the hearts of the listeners in the midst of the nations of the earth, their minds begin to expand and their hearts begin to swell with the newfound dignity thus spread before them and in the promise of the future. But by and by, there is a change in their condition, in the pride of their hearts, under the inspiration of those men who thus taught and counseled them. They thought they were going to be somebody. End quote. Charles Rich, Journal of Discourse, Volume 19, page 251. Before we came into this world, we had an existence with the Father in the heavens. We are eternal beings. How do you know that, one might say? We know it by the revelations of Jesus Christ, which bring life and immortality to light. It was revealed to Abraham and many of the ancient prophets, and it has been revealed unto us in these last days. We are told that before the inhabitants of the earth had an existence in the flesh, they had an existence in the spirit world, and that it was necessary to come into this world and be clothed with mortality. And why was it necessary? Because we could not attain to an exaltation without coming here. Many people think this is a world of sorrows and a very horrid world to live in. So it may seem to people, to some people, but I think that it is a glorious world, for it is here we are enabled to obtain our blessings and endowments. End quote. Orson Pratt, Masterful Discourses, pages 63 through 67. Hold on, I have to fix my microphone. Not the right way. Okay, sorry about the noise. Okay. A long time before you and I came here upon this stage of action, we had an intelligent existence. We dwelt in a better world than this, and a world that had been sanctified and glorified. In other words, a world that had been redeemed, a world that had been made celestial, just as we were in hopes that our present world will. 
at some future period be exalted to the celestial glory and become the habitation of celestial beings. That world we occupied before we came here was celestial. Our father has his dwelling place there, or at least one of his dwelling places. And we were surrounded by our father's glory. We were familiar with his countenance, familiar with the beautiful mansions that were there, familiar with all the glory that existed there so far as we were capable of comprehending. If there was no evil, or I'm sorry, no veil drawn between us and our father, no veil drawn between us and the associates of our father, who were also celestial beings, many of them having been redeemed from a world more ancient than ours, we had a long experience. I suppose in that world, at least we know from what, from that which our father has revealed to us, that we were born there, that this intelligent being that has power to discern, power to reflect, power to reason, that this intelligent being was born in that previous state, previous estate. These were some of the first revelations given in this last dispensation. The Lord did not wait several years before he revealed unto us in some measure concerning our condition before we came here. Hence, it was a way back in the year 1830 that this doctrine of preexistence of man was revealed in greater fullness, that it was given in the Book of Mormon. There are two or three places in the Book of Mormon that reveal the preexistence of man, but not in such a great plainness that... It was given soon after the publication of that book through the prophet Joseph Smith before the saints began to gather, informing us that we were in reality the children of our father and God, that we had a preexistence in which we had learned many very important principles connected with the spiritual existence. Before taking bodies of flesh and bones, which was also necessary to afford us a still greater experience, Now, in this plan that God has devised for the advancement of these intelligent beings by passing them through various stages of existence under different circumstances and in different conditions, he gives them experience that they never could have gained had they remained in the presence of the Father in that world which was celestial. In other words, we were his offspring in that world. Our spiritual bodies, not having flesh and bones, but being in the image of the Father and Son, his own sons and daughters. He had a great desire that we should be educated and taught. He could teach us a great many things in that world as we teach our children. He could impart to us a great many things, for there were as many truths in existence in that day as are in existence now. But truths were taught to us as we were capable of understanding them. The Lord felt anxious that we might come up and eventually be made like him. As it is written in the New Testament, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. I have no doubt before we came into the world, we had a great anxiety that we might be brought up in the same way as he was, or I'm sorry, the same way he was instructed and taught and led along passing through the different conditions of existence that we finally might be counted worthy to be exalted at his right hand and receive the fullness of his celestial glory, the same that he is in possession of and that we might have all his attributes dwelling within us as separate individuals and personages that he might exalt us like unto himself. Now there is a great deal to be comprehended when we are told that we are children who will become like our father, that we were like him in our first stage and condition of existence. We were there as it were children without a fullness of knowledge. Many experiences had not yet been given to us, but we were like him in our general outline the outline of our persons, our general form was like him, after his image, etc. In 
It is thus written in the Book of Mormon, in that great vision to the brother of Jared, in which the Lord condescended to take the veil off his eyes. The brother of Jared had gone up into the mountain and had molten out of a rock 16 small stones, which he carried up into the top of the mount. He went there with an object in view. The object was to get the Lord to touch the stones that they might shine forth in darkness in the eight vessels, which had been built to convey him and to and his brother across the great waters, one to be placed at each end of each vessel. It would naturally increase the faith of the brother of Jared to believe it possible that he might see the finger of the Lord. He was given to pray that God would touch the stones, the same as we pray for the Lord to put forth his finger and touch the particles of oil. When we dedicate it for sacred purposes, if we pray in faith, we must suppose that the finger touches the oil, and Jared prayed in faith. He did not know but what it might be his privilege to see his finger. He did see it. It appeared to him like the finger of a man, like unto flesh and blood. But his faith was too great for his nervous system. For when he saw the finger of the Lord, he fell to the earth through fear. And the Lord looked unto him and asked him why he had fallen. He answered and said, I saw the finger of the Lord and I feared lest he should smite me, for I knew that not that the Lord had flesh and blood. He did not know but what his imperfections were so great that the Lord would smite him, but he was commanded to arise. The Lord then asked him, Sawest thou more than this? And he answered, Nay, Lord, shew, shew thyself unto me. <clears throat> Here was a prayer that extended a little further. The Lord wanted to see what amount of faith he had, and he put another question to him. Believest thou the words which I shall speak? And he answered, Yea, Lord, I know that that is the truth, for thou art a God of truth and cannot or can't lie. Can't not lie. Sorry. And when the brother of Jared had manifested his faith, the Lord con- con- condescended to show his whole personages a personage to him. I am not I'm like butchering this whole sentence. Let me try this again. <laughs> And when the brother of Jared had manifested his faith, the Lord condescended to show his whole personage to him and said, Seest thou that ye are treated after mine own image? Behold, this body which ye now behold is the body of my spirit, and man have I created after the body of my spirit. Here the preexistence of man was taught in the Book of Mormon. All men in the beginning were created after the image of this body, which he was then shewing. All the human family that then existed and that would exist in the future time upon the earth were created in the beginning. After the image of that body, that is, the body which he showed was not a body of flesh and bones, but a pure spiritual body organized out of pure spiritual substance filled with light and truth. He informed this great man of God that he was prepared from before the foundation of the world to redeem his people. Behold, he says, I am Jesus Christ. I am the Father and the Son. In me shall all mankind have light, and that eternally even they who shall believe in my name. Here then was a great deal of information given to us concerning the formation of the human spirit, the formation of men, the formation of their persons, and their individualities before the foundation of this world. It was after this was given and the Book of Mormon was published that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints arose, but the Lord, thinking that we had not sufficient understanding of this preexistence, began to tell us, in the month of June, 1830, only a few months after the organization of the church. More about these things. 
He told us about the spiritual creation, something we did not comprehend before. We used to read the first and second chapters of Genesis, which give an account of the works of the Almighty, but did not distinguish between the spiritual work and the temporal work of Christ. Although there are some things in King James' translation that gave us a little distinction between the two creations, yet we did not comprehend it. The light shone in some measure in darkness, but so dark were our minds through tradition that we did not comprehend the light. Or the few feeble glimmers, glimmerings of light contained in these first and second chapters of the uninspired translation. But our Heavenly Father inspired his servant Joseph Smith to translate several chapters more in the book of Genesis in December 1830, which gave a more full account down to the days of the flood. He told us a great many important principles, principles that he did not give so far as the historical matter was concerned in the Book of Mormon. They were in addition in some respects, and therefore they were new to us who lived in the early rise of the church and calculated to give us great joy. And in case you don't remember, that way back at the beginning of that whole quote was from Orson Pratt, Masterful Discourses, pages 63 through 67. Yes, okay, we'll continue on with this next quote, which is significantly smaller. George Q. Cannon, contributor, volume 11, page 476. I just want to give a shout-out to my awesome daughter who is going upstairs to help, because I don't know if you can hear on this radio show, but it sounds like there's WWF going on upstairs in my 7- and 8-year-old daughter's room right now with our 2-year-old son. And I don't know who's winning, because I can't tell what's going on, I can just hear a bunch of playing and screaming. So, anyway, (laughs) I just had to add that little thing in there. Okay, again, George Q. Cannon, Contributor, Volume 11, page 476. It is a truth that, when understood by us, gives a new light to our, our existence. Um, hold on. Sorry. Just stopping. Oh, there was something that I was supposed to say about the last thing that we just read, and then something made me stop to think about it again because it was when I was reading and I decided not to stop, but now it's stopping me from reading the next thing. So um, now I'm going to try to talk about what it was that I was thinking about, and I cannot remember. Um, It's coming back to me, though. So um, when talking about that kind of faith, that the faith to see God's finger, um, the faith that he did on his own, and then also falling um, to his feet um, to be scared. I feel like a lot of times we all have that kind of faith. We want to know things, but then um, when we find out that that what we are believing and what we have faith in is true, then we're afraid of the result of that action. And then we don't know what to do about it um, because it is scary. Learning new things is very scary. So when you learn new things that are unfamiliar to you, I feel like um, the less you know of something, the more scary it can be. And I even tell this actually to my kids in class, uh, my class, I let them know the only reason why things are scary to them is because they need to know more about it. So um, Emmett, you can say it online. So that people can hear you. He interrupted me. I'm, I don't know about that, Mom. Things are pretty scary sometimes. Um, a lot of times when you are reading and learning new things, 
um, it it can be scary too because when you don't have an understanding of it, then you it makes you frustrated or it makes you um, afraid because you're not certain of it. So I feel like um, a lot of times when we are afraid of something, like, you know, uh, the kids that I teach, they're, like, afraid of thunderstorms. So I try to, you know, tell them, the more you learn and understand about thunderstorms, then the less scary they are to you. Um, When I was a child, I was petrified of thunderstorms. It was the scariest thing that could ever happen in the world, and I knew when I grew up to be an adult, I don't know where I was going to live, but it was going to be wherever there was no such thing as thunderstorms because it was that scary. Um, Well, yeah, I was naive and I was like four years old and that was super scary to me. So I feel like the more that we learn, then the less scary it is. So just like with this in our faith, we have faith. um, We have great faith in certain things, but we're afraid of what, um, what comes next or what the response is once you have seen, you know, God or once you have been given answers that you're looking for that you um, have been praying and searching for you get these answers and then it's it's scary to you so um, just like he did just like with um, seeing God's finger um, it's not so scary once you learn more about it is what I'm trying to say so I would say stick with it and um, keep on learning and always keep progressing. Um, it, it's an up and down thing. Sometimes you are progressing. Sometimes you need a break because uh, you feel overwhelmed by it. And then um, other times you'll get right back into it. But eventually you'll exercise that um, part of your brain and that part of um, your learning experience. And you'll be able to, um, I feel like it gets easier as time goes on. Now, let's see if I can read the next part, Hello. and if that's what I – Hi. I was going to say, let me see if I can read the next part, if that's what I was supposed to say. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, two things – or, well, three things. Okay. So, the first thing, uh, something I say a lot, you know, the fact that uh, Jesus shows himself as a spirit, and he says, never at any time have I showed myself before to man. Um, and this is after the flood, after the Tower of Babel. Babel, whatever, uh, that Jehovah, Jehovah had appeared to people before the flood. And after the flood, he sat down with Abraham and had a meal of meat and dairy as a resurrected being. Uh, shows that Jesus Christ and Jehovah are two separate individuals, which it also talks about that in Moses chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, where Jehovah is speaking to Moses and he says, uh, thou art in the very similitude of mine only begotten Son who will come in the uh, meridian of time, showing that Jesus and Jehovah are not the same person as the modern LDS church teaches today. The other thing that's really cool about this uh, section of scripture is that in the Talmud, the Jews have extra biblical history where they talk about Noah and how Noah had stones of light that he put in the ark to light up the inside of the ark. So, um, you know, that's in the Talmud. Now, the Talmud is 28 volumes that are all the size of encyclopedias. There is a ton. Like, to buy the Talmud, you have to... It's like... Uh, hold on. 
I usually gives you a two-two if they're out of the coal or out of the loads for the, uh, you know, if you try to go to a power plant. <laughs> Were you trying to go into Huntington? Well, I'll probably be behind you. They're probably out. I don't know. I'll go and talk to them. Okay. So anyway, um, sorry, I'm pulling into the load out right now. Um. Uh, here I am being distracted. Um, okay, so the, uh, you know, the Jews knew about these stones. Well, the brother of Jared knew about them too. It wasn't too long before the brother of Jared was born that Noah, I mean, Noah and Shem, the son of Noah, they were still on the earth at the time. Or they were on the earth. Well, yeah, no, they were on the earth. Abraham well, anyway, it's it's around the same time, so they knew about those things. The other thing, too, um, you were talking about, like, just continue and ask questions and all of that. Um, so a lot of people ask, well, how can I get the baptism of fire, uh, the gift of the Holy Ghost, and how can I have my calling and election made sure? And, like, they want to know what they can do to try and um, – you know, to force this issue. All I can tell you for me is that um, I had an interest in it because of my patriarchal blessing where I talked about that I have been given the gift of eternal life. Not that I would be, but I have been. And then the stake president, and it's really loud because I'm getting loaded. Anyway, but the stake president, stake patriarch that I asked about it, they said, oh, that means you've had your calling and election made true. And I was like, well, what is that, you know? And so um, I kept asking uh, from 97 until 2003, kept asking, kept asking. But I also kept learning and kept asking all kinds of questions. And over the course of time, as God was giving me other things, he, ha- he gave me the faith to continue to ask and he could be a little bit here and a little bit there but in 2003 that's when I saw the father and the son face to face in the flesh you know and I had that experience where I had my calling and election made sure and I was filled up directly to the father at that point and it wasn't something that I was asking for I was asking for knowledge I wanted to understand what these things meant you know I was trying to understand things and I was also um, at the time, just doing everything I could to do missionary work and to read. I was an over-the-road trucker after my mission, um, and I've been a truck driver all, all the, you know. And it was that same year that I came off the road um, and started doing local work. But I continued asking and asking and asking and doing missionary work and just learning and scripture study and all kinds of stuff. And God gave it to me in his time. And I didn't do something. I didn't, like, try to get him to, like, do something for me. I just wanted to know all the things. And I was, like, fully committed to doing missionary work as much as I could and being a witness um, as far as I could in the style of a missionary or whatever. And um, eventually he gave me the knowledge of what it meant to have your calling and election made sure and all of the blessings that come along with that, including seeing them face to face. 
um, some people, they want to force the issue. What can I do to force the issue? You can do nothing to force the issue. What you can do is remain in the covenant path and uh, continue to learn and to grow and ask questions. And as you're studying scriptures or church history like we're doing today, ask God Wait, to inspire you with questions. Can I just say something? Can I just say something specifically about that? Um, I know sometimes you don't even know in what the realm of what it is that you should be asking. You're like, questions? I don't know what questions to ask. What it is that we're talking about is so foreign to me that I'm like, okay, that could probably be plausible. I don't know. I don't think so. Or maybe you're like, holy cow, that's really cool. I didn't even think about that. And then you're thinking, I don't even have any questions. So you're just here to absorb and you feel like you're learning. However, you can pray to God to help you to have questions to ask. If that's something that you're looking, you know, that you need to work on. Because I know sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm kind of overwhelmed by the whole thing. I don't even know what kind of questions I should be asking here. And then there's other times when I get really into it. Um, and my mind is kind of like, okay, that kind of makes sense, but I don't understand this. Or, um, yeah, that does make sense, but what about something else that I've already read about this and what what does that mean in conjunction with what I'm reading? So a lot of times, you know, you might not have questions, but it's something you can also practice um, to help your mind, I guess, to associate with things that you already know. So you can help to internalize what it is that you are reading and what it is that you are learning um, from others. So um, just so you know, I do, I have been there where I'm like, I don't have any questions. I don't, I'm just like sitting here to be here. I don't know the questions to ask, but it does take a little while. And um, I, I don't remember when this was, but it was a few years back. And I actually knew that I was doing that. It felt to me kind of like I was just sitting on a fence, like, okay, I'm just listening because that's what I should do, you know? And then I, I got sick of just being on the fence. And I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be asking. I know I should be asking questions. I know I should be, you know, equating this to things that I've already learned and, and having a better understanding of it so I can open it up and delve into it and take it apart so I can understand it at a higher level. But I didn't even know what questions to ask. So then I actually prayed, and this was a few years back, I prayed for God to help me to have questions. Help me to understand it. Help me to have questions. Help me to know what it is that you're trying to teach me. And he actually did that gradually. I, I don't know if Mark could tell you when that happened because I know for a while I was like, I don't want to know anything else. <laughs> I was like, Ugh. and then I get in a little rut. And then I come back and I'm like, okay, okay. I know that things aren't going so amazing as I thought that they would be. And I'm trying to get back into um, my scripture study and making sure I'm staying, you know, God-centered during the day, like centered on Christ in all things that I do. Um, and it's not easy. It's so hard. It's always a balancing act and back and forth. Um, you know, we aren't perfect. We're just trying super hard to be, right? <laughs> and some days I'm not even trying super hard. I'm like, okay, uh, I did not do amazing today. And now I'm thinking about how I did not do amazing today. And it kind of stops me and it makes me stumble from being even mediocre as I am. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's those things that we have to work on. We have to work on whatever it is that we're, you know, that we're not doing amazing at. Like uh, we talked about last week with the um, how to qualify, 
qualify for the Special Kingdom today and working on, you know, my time management and having time to do more and trying to squeeze a few more moments out of my time. So this is um, compounded on all of the things that we can be learning. We might all be on different levels, and that's fine. We can still learn from one another. And that's why um, Mark gets so upset that he doesn't have a lot of people calling in all the time because um, sometimes you can be listening to the show and think, okay, maybe that's plausible, maybe that's not. Maybe you're just upset and you don't even want to talk about it. But sometimes you do want to have a conversation, but you're not even sure where in the realm to start. And then, you know, praying about it and asking God to give you questions, asking God to help you understand and to know what it is that you should be looking at or asking for. Um, Because we all want to have, you know, conversations and learn from one another, but it's hard to learn from one another if there isn't an open conversation, which is exactly why Mark wants to do the radio show, the program in the way that we do. It's so there can be a back and forth conversation, Um, not an argument. Let's, let's, not get over ourselves there. We're just going to say it's a conversation. We want to have conversation about well, I mean, um, what we're reading and about what we're learning too, because we like to learn from others as well. Sorry, that was a long yeah, explanation. Like, Go ahead. I don't know everything. I mean, God has given me a, so much, but I feel inadequate yeah. at the same time because I, I don't know. I'm still learning. I we're all learning. You know. I mean, Jesus. Absolutely online precept upon precept, you know, there's things in his life he had to learn from childhood, you know, and I don't know it all, but I want to understand people from, a di- uh, understand things from uh, maybe a different perspective. So yeah, maybe I a different like culture even, that would be cool. Yeah. yeah, so I'm trying to understand things too, and that's why I want the conversation. You know, like when yeah. God told me to organize the Church of the Living Messiah, he also included the school of the prophets so that we could come together and speak about these things as his saints, as his children, men and women coming together, talking about these things. And like, and that's what, well, that's what church is all about too. You know, it's not about being the big know-it-all. It's about learning from each other and the experiences and perspectives of other people. And you know what? Uh, God gives us grace to be wrong. You know, um, but he also wants us to study these things out. And like, that's part of that. This is, this radio program is part of the part the, so God told me, organize the church of the living Messiah and the school of the prophets. That is what this is. This is uh, a portion of the school of the prophets as we are going through and talking about these things and learning from one another. And it frustrates me that I spend all of this time and bring all of these things out and and go over these things. And I'm learning. I'm grateful for the learning. But I want to have a conversation. And as many thousands of episodes as I have done so far uh, in the podcast and in the videos, frustrates me that, like, I feel like I'm being ignored. And nobody really wants to have these. And this is even before God told me. Slow down a bit, please. Ten four. Uh, hey, can I ask you something? Uh, hold on, I gotta mute myself. I gotta mute myself. That's okay. Let me continue on, and you can, can you can contribute later again. Um, 
Let's talk about George Q. Cannon, Contributor, Volume 11, page 476. It is a truth that, when understood by us, gives us a new light to our existence and inspires us with the most exalted hopes. That truth is that God is our Father and we are his children. What a tender relationship. What a feeling of nearness it creates within us. What? God, my Father? Am I indeed his son? Am I indeed his daughter? Do I, believe, do I belong to the family of God? Is this literally true? The answer is yes. God has revealed it, that we are literally his children, his offspring, that we are just as much his children as our offspring are our children, that he begot us, and that we existed with him in the family relationship as his children. What an immensity of vision is given to us in this truth. What a field for reflection and how our hearts should be inspired with great hopes and anticipations to think that the being under whose direction this earth was organized, who governs the planets and controls the universe, who causes the rotation of the seasons and makes this earth so beautiful and such a delightful place of habitation is our father and that we are his children descended from him. What an illimitable, illimitable hope the knowledge of this inspires us with. Now, this is the truth. We humble people, we who feel ourselves sometimes so worthless, so good for nothing, we are not so worthless as we think. There is not one of us but what God's love has been expended upon. There is not one of us that he has not cared for and caressed. There is not one of us that he has not desired to save and that he has not devised means to save. There is not one of us that he has not given his angels charge concerning. We may be insignificant and contemptible in our own eyes and in the eyes of others, but the truth remains that we are the children of God and that he has actually given his angels invisible beings of power and might charge concerning us, and they watch over us and have us in their keeping. End quote. It's kind of interesting to think about that um, as we are children. We are his literal children. And um, a lot of times I think about the relationship between him and myself, or all of us actually, and me and my own children and how frustrating it can be to try to let them have their own free will and yet still watch them fail miserably at things that you simply warn them about and they just don't trust you. <laughs> um, so that relationship I constantly am thinking of. And then um, in here when it was talking about us, the, again, being the literal um, children, a lot of times my kids are – you know, they want to be so independent. They want to do it all on themselves. They want to be bigger. They want to get older. They want to have their license. They want to meet the next, you know, thing that they're supposed to do, the next rite of passage that they do have. And um, if you think about that, you're always like, okay, stop. Don't get older. Stay young. I like you young. I let, you know, my two-year-old is adorable. He should be young. And I, you know, I love the little kids as they get older, you're like, how in the world did you get this big? Like, how did you go from being this cute little one-year-old to a 16-year-old? Like, this doesn't, this is ridiculous. 
Um, And so I often wonder if God thinks the same about us. Stop rushing, trying to be bigger. (laughs) Stop trying to be older. At the same time, I want my kids to know everything. I want to teach them. I like it when they learn. I want them to learn for themselves. I must seem like the laziest parent in the world because I, it is so much easier as a parent to just do it yourself. I'm always like, I'm just going to do it myself. Just let me do it myself. And like so much so um, that it makes it so that my kids don't know how to do anything. And I will admit that right away. Um, For Lydia, my 13-year-old daughter, she is not a great cook. We're just going to throw that out there. She really isn't. She doesn't know how to cook things. And it's because she didn't have to. Like, I always did all of the things. Now, the reason Emmett likes to cook or knows how to is because he was always interested in cooking, in cooking shows. He likes to make sauces and different kinds of roux. It was something he was interested in. But I... Did he said what do you mean was um, he likes yep. to do that stuff? Yeah. He even made a bottle of wine out of. He grapes. did. He likes that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he can also like, cook bread, uh, which I can't make rise to save my life. He's all, he can make he's it. All, he's all, hey, you can use my wine for sacrament. And we're like, uh, I don't know <laughs> about that. I don't know if. We're not going to die of poisoning Emmett or something. Like... <laughs> what? Emmett says, Emmett was saying, uh, I don't know, I choose life. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's got a funny sense of humor. Anyway, um, but then the thing about, like, our kids growing up, we love our kids. We yeah. love it when they – my favorite age of a child is between <laughs> two to four years old. I love it so much. And I love it. I love it at all stages. I love it when they're little. I mean, oh, my gosh. Arius is so silly. Like the other uh, yesterday, he woke me up by climbing up on the bed, and he cl- I was asleep. And he's climbing over my head <laughs> to get on the other side of me with his dirty diaper, which is what woke me up. I was like, Bruh. But then I'm like, Emmett, come get the baby. <laughs> And Arius knew that Emma was coming to get him. And he, like Emma came up, he says, where is he? And I said, I don't know. The door was closed. Like, he's in here. And Emma's looking Emma at the is laughing. I want you to know. <laughs> he's looking in the bathroom, in the shower, under the sink. Like, where the heck did he go? And uh, then we saw the, uh, the curtains making moving motions. And we're like, there he is. And then Emmett grabbed him through the curtain and he started squealing and laughing. I love it. <laughs> um, and then with Olivia, like uh, she was making TikTok videos when she was like 10 years old. Three yeah, years so Lydia, ago. Yeah, so Olivia, he's talking about you. I'm going to take your phone. We're at 90 seconds. So if you want to call in, you, the number is 917-889-8827 if you want to listen to the rest of the show live. If not, you'll have to wait for it to be downloaded onto iTunes. I'm going to speakerphone this so Lydia can hear you talk about her because this is a funny story because I think I know what you're going with, where you're going with it. (laughs) So my co-driver, before he got cancer and died, we used to go over to his house all the time. And there's some TikTok videos that, that that Lydia and the two younger ones 
um, so this is three years ago. Uh, I guess Amberly would have been five. No, Am- well, Eliza was five. Amberly was three at the time. They're freaking adorable, all three of them. And they are dancing to the TikTok music and stuff. And then, like, three years later, here's this young woman that just popped up out of nowhere. Like, this little girl just blossomed. And we're like, no, stop. Why are you growing up? All three of them, you know. Like, why are you growing up? And, like, you were talking about how God loves his children. And um, I think that, like, I mean, he loves little children the same as we do. But I think that when we grow up, we think we know it all. And we stop asking him questions, kind of like a teenager. They think they know it all. And they stop, you know, asking or questions about, like, this, that, and the other. And they think they know it all. And they're going to do it their way and whatever. And that's part of the natural process of being a teenager. But I just um, want you to know that I am getting the best side commentary from your son ever. He's like, what do you mean, think we know? (laughs) (laughs) He has something to say about all the things. And I'm, like, giggling in the background. I'm like, Emmett, you should unmute yourself. Because... Although he does have Asperger's, he does understand the concept of comedy, and so it's kind of funny. His kind of comedy is funny to me. So anyways, you can continue, but you should hear this side commentary. It's funny. (laughs) Anyway, so, but we as adults, we, like, get to the point where we think we know everything with God, too, and we stop asking. And eventually, when we mature and we're not teenagers anymore, we'll start asking questions again, you know, and God is patient with us when we go through those stages, but he wants us to be like little children. And what do little children do? They ask their parents questions about everything. They want to know what their parents think. They want to understand how things are done or how things work. And Heavenly Father is the same way. He wants us to ask him questions, to be believing as a little child, and to turn to him and seek answers from him. And there's stages in life where we, you know, we're more like teenagers where we think we know it all until we get to the point where we realize we don't know everything we thought we knew, you know. But he's patient with us while we go through those stages. But he wants us to be like little children and ask. So anyway, that's all I had to say. Does Emma have any commentary? No, he does not. He's smiling, though. He's like, not anymore. (laughs) Yeah, well, Emmett does know a little bit more than me on a lot of things because uh, I wasn't able to go through as much schooling as he went through. Yep. Um, Even though I went through, like, uh, two semesters of college, not a lot, you know. But there's things I know about because I study because I'm interested in these topics that we're talking about today. But – I think Emma started with the I know everything phase earlier than most teenagers because you remember how he used to, when he was like six, seven, eight, whatever, and he would like make up facts so everybody would think he was so smart. And we all knew he was smart. We're like, Emmett, stop it <laughs> all the time. I know. And like, I liken that into these people who he think says they it's know not everything. makeup, it's come up with. Yeah, he would just make up stories, <laughs> come up with stories. Yeah. And we're like, no, Emmett, 
mom and I are very intelligent. Both of our are very intelligent. We both have high IQs. We're not quite to 150, but we're close. And uh, 150 is uh, considered a genius. We're not there. We're close. You know, and we do understand things. And we know when Emmett is pull a fast one on us. But he did it, I believe, because he wanted people to think he was smart. And I look at other individuals like Denver Snuffer and other individuals that I try not to name. But, like, there's a bunch of them out there. And they're in church. Like, some of them aren't well-known. But they get this kick off of knowing everything. And I'm like that sometimes. You know, when I was in Sunday school, I'd be like, start to get prideful, even though, like, I did study things out. And I'd say, well, this about this and that about that. And, like, you can look up church history and this and that, whatever. You know, but I would have to, like, bite my tongue from time to time when the pride got too much. I got too swelled up. And, and allow myself to stop with this pride kick. But some people, they just run amok with it. And though they will talk about things and try to teach about things that they've never gotten revelation on. And they teach it as doctrine. And that's how we got to the point where there are many things in the apostate Christian church and in Mormonism as well, where there are many things that people say they teach for doctrine the commandments of men mingled with scripture. And that's how apostasy happens. And like, it's okay to speculate, but like, I try to tell people like, look, this is what I think. Like I have a guy that's been asking me questions online for like two or three months now. And he'll ask, he asks me so many questions and I'll tell him what I believe. And I'll tell him, I haven't gotten, um, specific revelation on that but I think this is what's going on you know I'm like and I'll tell him you know I think this is a I think this is what's going on but I I personally don't care enough to go to God to ask it's not a salvific issue so like but if he wants to know like I'll tell him what I think and then he can go to God if he really wants to know you know and get revelation and study it out but part of studying is asking So, but some people, they just go run amok with this pride cycle. You know, anyway, I'm going into the depths, so I'm going to have to mute myself. Um, I can continue reading. Lydia, do you hear her? All right. um, So I can hear one of our cats who had kittens. She sounds like she's having a different kind of meow. So I think she's asking for somebody to come here, but I don't know. Anyways. Okay, I'll continue on. Brigham Young Journal of Discourse, Volume 13, page 145. When I look at the economy of heaven, my heart leaps for joy. And if I had the tongue of an angel or the tongues of the whole human family combined, I would praise God in the highest for his great wisdom and condescension in suffering the children of men to fall into the very sin into which they have fallen in. For he did it that they, like Jesus, might descend below all things and then press forward and rise above all. Our spirits once dwelt in the heavens and were as pure and holy as the angels. But angels have tabernacles and spirits have none, and they are anxious to take tabernacles, and they come to the meanest, lowest, and humblest of the human race to obtain one 
rather than run any risk of not doing so. That is the end of that chapter. So next time we'll be on Chapter 4, The Preexistence of Christ, on page 47, um, or on page 3,400 and, I mean, 3,042 in End Sign to the Nations. And I don't know if you are still in the dip. <laughs> I am here. I am just okay. in a rolling oxymoron right now at this point. You are what? Because a rolling oxymoron right now oh, okay. at this point. There is this guy from British Columbia in okay. front of me. And the name of his trucking company is Rocket Transportation Incorporated. And he is from Alberts Ford, British Columbia. And Rocket Transportation is going 55 and a 65 downhill like it's not even that much of a downhill 55 and a 65 and the name of his company is called rocket no change the name of your company you rolling oxymoron get out of my way <laughs> like and it was like right to the point where it starts to go uphill again and my truck right now i'm about 64 tons 64 and a half tons somewhere around there which is 128 to 129,000 pounds. And I like to get rolling a little bit before I have to start going up the hill again. Or I go up the hill even slower than I would have a key man, rocket man, is going 10 miles an hour under the speed limit, which drives me nuts for two reasons. One reason I just said. The other reason is every truck today, except for my truck, because I'm a local guy, has an ELD in it, which is an electronic device, which is, is a logging device. So you don't have to do paper logs anymore. So um, you only have 70 hours a week to go as many miles as you can get. So why not just, and you only have 11 hours a day of drive time. So why not just get there and stop driving 55 and a 65, like, oh, drives me nuts. Anyway, so uh, that's my uh, snapshot of history on this uh, 21st day of April 2022 at 8, 10 p.m. <laughs> okay, sounds amazing. I, um, I yeah, was going to um, say about the reading, it says, when I look at the economy of heaven, my heart leaps for joy. And I am, like, thinking about that because I can't even comprehend the economy of heaven because I have lived too much in this world and I don't understand how it is. I don't even understand this economy and how that people think that it works the way that they do things. I mean, when Are I think about, about the United um, Order, Zion yes, I think about United Orders. I don't know how that would exactly work with, because we do have a lot of people, oh, my stupid thing for my ear. Uh, we only um, have people that want to live United Orders that don't have anything to bring to the table, and they right, want to do with other people. <laughs> so I don't understand yeah. that. Like the economy of heaven would have to be full of people who want to, um, you know, help and do something. And there are people who feel like, yes, anything. we want to live the United Order, but we want to do it with your was what you have. <laughs> like they don't, they're with don't your know, money so and hard. your resources. Yeah, like yeah. we've had a lot of people try to like come to us and say, you know, they want to live the United Order. 
And we're like, okay, well, you know, let's talk about it. And then we find out they really don't want to live the United Order. They want to live communism, which is where <laughs> you take from one and you give, and you don't do anything, and you live off the backs of other people. And that is not a United Order. That is Satan's version of a United Order. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we do want the economy of heaven, but there's a specific way in which things are supposed to be done. And most people that want to live it, they don't really want to live it. They want to live something else. Yeah. And you know what? They can live that in the gate all they want. It's called the welfare system. You know? Yeah. Whatever. And that's why, I don't know, like with this quote and what he was saying, I don't think it was lived much differently um, back then because Brigham Young didn't have a united order, to my knowledge. It was more like he lived off of the people. So, oh my gosh! Don't even get me started on that, man. So like, so but the quote is from him. So I'm like, he's happy about the way that heaven works, but I don't think it works that way. I don't think it works like that. We um, are just going to work our whole existence to make somebody else richer. Rich. I think that yeah. I think God is more of like we work together. I think he works in conjunction with us. So I'm just going on like my own um, thoughts with spirituality and such is that, you know, he is always there and he's always willing and wanting to help, but we have to reach out to, you know, get the help. We have to listen. We have to, you know, do our own part. It's like a collaboration between um, both of us. And then again, with our, our family and stuff, it's a collaboration between all of us to be there and not just, you know, our family here on earth but like our entire family do you know what i mean yeah well so um, i feel like it's like a collaboration of everything but i have always noticed there's always a weaker link in each part of that picture i mean i feel like i am obviously weaker and insignificant to god when it comes to the family it you know the younger children oh, let's face it, all of the children are a weaker link than the parents. Do you know what I mean? And it's always a learning experience. And you just hope that those children are reaching out as you're trying to reach out for God to make this whole chain work and to make it, you know, better. But I can't help but it goes back into me thinking more about, like, communism and the way that, you know, governments are run here on the earth. So I don't know. It doesn't make me all joy and ha- joyful and happy. Maybe I should be asking for more enlightenment and and information on that. Yeah. Well, we do have some more enlightenment. Uh, Translation of the Order of Enoch received by the use of the Urim and Thummim talks about the United Order, which was uh, the United Order of Enoch. Or maybe it's the Book of Elisha. It's been a while since I've read it. So we we actually do have more uh, light and knowledge on United Orders than what the average Mormon has, but we still have to figure it out. You know, like the order of Enoch or or if it's the order of Elisha, it's a template, you know, about how, like the basics of it. So, um, but okay, I'm going to get back to Brigham Young to bring up Brother Brigham. One of the things that drives me nuts about the man is that he was in land speculation in uh, in Nauvoo, and and um, Joseph Smith told him and others, every single one of the twelve, a lot of people, they were doing land speculation, 
and they were getting rich off the backs of the immigrants who were coming in. And he was working on the second wing of his mansion when Joseph died. Why does he need a mansion? Why does he need a second wing of a mansion? You know, and like even at, and and like that, like they were taking the consecrated wood that was coming down from the timber of Wisconsin down the Mississippi that was consecrated and dedicated for the use of the temple, and he was building his mansion. You know, and uh, after Joseph died, and they got out to the to the Salt Lake Valley, it wasn't long after that that the the transcontinental railroad uh, joined. Uh, from east to west there north of Ogden, Utah. And so they were able to bring in stuff from all over the world. And Brigham Young had the nicest things. And he, like, go to the Lion House. You can go there. You know, take a look at what he had. And that wasn't his only stuff. He was rich, rich. And his finances were tied up in the church so much that they didn't know what was what. And he had the finest things, and, you know, everybody else is living in, in sod huts, and this man is living high on the hog. And it seems like he ignored the whole scripture. Uh, it is not given for one man to own that which is above another, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin. And if you, be, if you will be a Zion people, you must be equal in all things. And he would sit there and condemn the saints all about, you guys need to live united orders. But then he wouldn't. He was never in a united order. Cover your ears, bitch at everybody about how they should be doing something, but he wouldn't lead by example. He lived the finest life that you could live in the pioneer times, which in, in the 1860s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, when he, you know, was he had the nicest thing. Not the fruit of a man who is a true disciple of Christ. I'm sorry, it's not. Um, I'm on wash plant. Kim, I'm on wash plant. Sorry, I was like, uh, okay, but I was muted. So then I was like, just sitting there like, oh, okay, you're on last I know, I just freaked up where I'm at right now, but I'm almost to the top. Okay. Um, so, any, anyway, okay. I was just like, so these men who led the church after Joseph Smith died, they all did stuff like that. Like, it's nice that we had United Orders that were actually successful, but these men did not live United Orders. And taking it another step, there are fundamentalist groups, which we are aware of, and they will say, we live the United Order. Oh, really? Okay, well, how do you live it then? Our members support the leadership, and the leadership are supported by the... That's not the United Order. Lead by example. Don't live off the, the backs of the poor. You know, like, I, I don't know, I just, it, and they'll say, well, well, we're not perfect, but we're trying. And it's like, if you were trying, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. And, and the other thing, I just saw so I get it off, off my, my chest, and I, I guess I won't, because it's like Teflon tape, it's on there. These individuals 
these fundamentalists, I'm about to condemn some of you. Just because Brother Brigham taught that it was okay to steal from the Gentiles because they're not the Israelites? No. If they contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, and the Doctrine and Covenants, you set them down as imposters. And he taught that it was okay to steal from the Gentiles. So now you have groups in Utah who are fundamentalist sects, and they will steal and rob you blind because they feel like they're justified because Brother Brigham said a thing and he was the Lord's anointed. No, he was not. Neither was Strang, neither was the Cutlerites, neither was Joseph Smith III. No. The church was rejected in Nauvoo. DNC section 124 of the Brighamite LDS Doctrine and Covenants, or if you don't have that, the revelation that Joseph Smith received to, re, uh, to build the Nauvoo Temple, January 18, 1841, talked about the church being rejected if they were disobedient in building the temple. But the principle applies also to the other things. God, God had commanded certain things to be done. And if the church decides, oh, we don't need to worry about that, like, for instance, Plural celestial marriage. I know. Hot topic, right? Now, in the LDS church, people will say, oh, that was for those guys back then. That's not for us. We don't have to worry about it. You do not have a revelation which does away with Section 132. Now, for the people who freak out about Section 132, Hiram Smith presented a revelation to William and Jane Law which is Section 132, before Joseph and Hiram died. And it was printed and talked about, uh, by memory anyway, and William and Jane Law were freaking out about it, calling Joseph Smith a fallen prophet because he had received this revelation that they had presented to them by Hiram Smith, and it was printed in the Nauvoo Expositor, which puts a nice big old fat timestamp on it, showing that Brigham Young didn't, didn't just come up with that out of whole cloth. Now, William Law, later on in, in the 1860s or 70s, saw what Brigham Young had for DNC Section 132, and he said, that's not, that, that is kind of, yeah, but, but like the, the revelation that Hiram presented to me was like a couple of pages long. The one that Brigham had was uh, seven, eight, or nine pages long. I can't remember. It was way longer. He added a ton of stuff to it. The other thing that Brother Brigham did, which drives me insane, is he would take multiple revelations and edit them and then mesh them together to put them all together in a section and say, this was received on this date when it was multiple revelations. And it was edited, and it was edited so that he could say, this is the narrative. This is what we're doing, and it, it like some of it, uh, it just causes confusion among the saints, whether they're in the church or not, and it makes me so angry, and at the time uh, when I first learned these things, man, I was hot. I would have liked to have taken Brother Brigham out behind the barn and beat him half to death for what he did, because it makes me so angry. 
But God did tell me, Brother Brigham was a servant, and he was not perfect. And no, he was not the Lord's anointed. But uh, Heavenly Father told me to let, let, to basically stop judging Brother Brigham and let him be a judge. You know, and I try. But there is a lot of uh, false doctrine that was uh, taught by Brother Brigham. And, uh, and he wasn't a prophet. Not the same kind of prophet Joseph Smith was. He wasn't the Lord's anointed. And he freely admitted that in the beginning of his ministry. And he should have never organized the first presidency. Like uh, Strangites, they never organized a first presidency. They had a head apostle, Brigham was. He was the head of the traveling form of apostles. So, I don't know. There's a lot of other stuff that goes along with that in history that I don't want to get into right now. But, but uh, you know what? If we don't understand the errors of past leaders and how the church has gone into apostasy, we will never return to the first works and be a Zion people. Because Zion is not going to have a bunch of error in it. It is going to be the restored gospel as God gave it, not as some man twisted it and edited it uh, to turn it into something different. And I'm thankful for Brother Brigham and Heber and all these guys for the fact that they did learn a lot of things from uh, from Joseph Smith, but in their un- they didn't understand what they what what Brother uh, Brother Joseph talked about. And um, kind of got some things wrong But at least they put that out there And you know what If you can get revelation for yourself On these topics And divorce yourself from the error That that Brother Brigham And Brother Kimball And all these guys like taught By their speculation without revelation Then you'll come to the truth And you can't do that Unless you get revelation for yourself so, but they did, they did have a lot of truth in what they said, but there was a lot of error in it too. So anyway, uh, is there anything else that you or Emmett or Olivia have to say about anything before we wrap it up for today? No, and I have already moved on. I am trying to talk with children. They are, the littles oh. are done occupying themselves, so. As you can hear, here comes Aria. Okay. Okay, well, Emmett, uh, ready the studio. Um, we'll be back on with the next chapter, uh, The Preexistence of Jesus Christ, on Monday uh, at 6 p.m. Utah time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, whatever. And uh, we will not be doing anything tomorrow, Saturday or Sunday unless I do a bonus episode and whatever. But the next scheduled program is for Monday. Um, whatever that day is, the 24th. Is that the 24th? I see, 22, 23, 20, 25th. Yeah, so that will be April 25th. And we'll go live at 6 p.m. as we try to do every day. But the next chapter of uh, preexistence. So anyway. Thank you for reading for me, Kim. Thank you for all your awesome commentary, Emmett and Lydia, and uh, your little comments. And uh, I guess we'll be done with it today.
Have a blessed Shabbat and a wonderful Lord's Day, and we'll see you back on uh, Monday with Science Redemption Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. God bless, and goodbye. Emmett, cue the music. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.